Well, we begin a new section of Ezekiel, and this section here, 25 through 33, contains prophecies against the nations that have either cursed or ridiculed Judah and Jerusalem. You're going to find similar prophecies of these in Isaiah. If you want to write this down, you can you can do so. It's not in your outline. Isaiah 13 through 23. And Jeremiah 46 through 51. Isaiah 13 through 23. And Jeremiah 46 through 51. These also prophesy against these nations. And we have... I was going to pull up a map of the nations that are in uh, question here. But I figured that our computer may not be on, so I didn't uh, bother. We'll pull it up for you next time to show you where these, these nations are. But our first two we're going to be looking at here tonight, the uh, Ammonites and the Moabites. I think everybody's pretty familiar with it, where they are. They are, of course, east of Judah, on the other side of the Jordan. So we're going to be dealing with here in this uh, section 25 through 28, we're going to deal with six nations, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Philistines, the people of Tyre, and the people of Sidon. Chapters 29 through 32 are going to be dedicated to Egypt. What you will not see listed in here is Babylon. They are not listed among the prophecies and probably because they are right now the sword of God. And Nebuchadnezzar is called his servant. So I don't think that they are listed for that if you're using a nation. And we know from the book of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar at times was very sensitive to the things of God. That's probably why they are not listed among them. But, of course, they will be dealt with down the road. Prophecies will be made against them. Uh, Jeremiah 27, verse 6, calls Nebuchadnezzar God's servant. Now, in the prophecies given to Ezekiel here in 25, the first two are against those who mock the people of God. There are two different reasons given for each of these nations being judged. But judgment does come. So we're going to take a look at what these reasons are and how that applies to what we face here today. In verse 1 of Ezekiel 25, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you have said, Aha, against my sanctuary, when it was profaned and against the land of Israel, when it was desolate and against the house of Judah, when they went into captivity. So basically because they're saying, uh, they're, they're rejoicing in the fact that Israel and Judah had gone down. Now, Ammon is a descendant of Lot. Both of the ones that we're going to be looking at here tonight, they are both descendants of Lot. And because of the things that had gone on with Lot's daughter, Lot is both their, fa- <laughs> their father and their grandfather. They, uh, Ammon is a descendant of Ben-Ami, who was born to the younger daughter of Lot after they fled from Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Lot and his daughters had fled. Of course, his wife was uh, turned to the pillar of salt. But the daughters were concerned that there would be no one to carry on the family name of their father. So then rather than look to God for the solution, they uh, got their father drunk and they had incest with him. And the children that came from from that, of course, one daughter got him drunk the one night, and the other daughter got him drunk the other night. So the Moabites and the Ammonites 
trace back to these events. Now, Ezekiel has already given one message of judgment against the Ammonites prior to this one. And the, uh, the Ammonites were known for a few different things in the Word of God. First off, they were known for idolatry. First Kings 11.7 7 says that Molech was an Ammonite god and that Molech, to which the Israelites had sacrificed their own children, they had adopted this, Mo, this uh, Ammonite god. This is in Jeremiah 32 and verse 35. So idolatry was one of the things they were known for and this is their main god, Molech. Um, interesting to have your main god as one that you're sacrificing your babies to. You would wonder how that would... Uh, bode for the future of the nation. But that's what they did. Uh, the second thing is cruelty. Amos 1, 13 through 15 tells us that they ripped open uh, pregnant women that were with children. Didn't just kill them. And uh, the verses here, verse 13 in Amos, for three transgressions for the people of Ammon and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they ripped open the women with child and Gilead that they might enlarge their territory. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour its palaces amid shouting in the day of battle and a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. The king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, says the Lord. So it's in this prophecy against them, it specifically talks about, of all the things that they did, that they would rip the pregnant women open in order to enlarge their borders. How much is that similar to, not all, but some people who go after abortion simply because it's inconvenient to them enlarging their own borders? Well, I need to have this job or I want to have this this thing and babies are inconvenient, whatever it might be. We can see God's viewpoint on that. First Samuel 11, 2 tells us also about the peace covenant between the, Am- the Ammonites that included as uh, one of the provisions that the right eye be put out of every man on the other side of the controversy. So when they came over to the, to these folks, they, uh, these, uh, Israelites, they said, um, uh, look, we'll make peace with you as long as, uh, in making peace, we put out the right eye of every man. And so, if you remember the, the story, the passage of this, they actually came out and says, look, if we can't find anybody to deliver us, then we'll agree to your terms and we'll come out to you. <laughs> Just, it amazed me on both ends that first off, you, you, the, the Ammonites, would wait for them to find a deliverer and that they would say, if we can't find a deliverer, we'll come out to you. Um, just some weird weird stuff going on. But that's the kind of cruelty that these folks had. We see just two examples of it here in Scripture. The third one was pride. In Zephaniah 2, 9 through 11, Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits, and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This they shall have for their pride, because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. Well, their arrogance and their pride caused these threats, and God says we're going to be bringing judgment on you. He even says the residue of my people shall plunder them. So we don't even need much power. We're going to come over there and just plunder you. Here's the fourth one, opposition to God. In Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 4, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you 
with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Now, you all remember the, the story of, with uh, Balaam. But here the Ammonite and the Moabite were not allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord because of the things that they had done against Israel. Not because of the birth of the, uh, the, the uh, ordeal with the daughters of Lot. That wasn't uh, one of the things they decided. It's because of what had gone on before, after that. Judges chapter 3, verse 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eg- Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. So here we see Moab and Ammon, again, just like in Deuteronomy 23, both are named. And here the children of Israel in the book of Judges, they were given over to them. And they served them for 18 years. In 2 Samuel 10, verses 1 through 14, we find another instance with the people of Moab. And this is when King David, upon the death of the king of Moab, whom David was friendly with, he sent messengers to console his son on the death and to uh, continue the relationships that they had with them. And you remember the son of the king of Moab, who was taking over the throne, uh, humiliated his messengers, listened to those that were speaking to him, said, "Here, they're here just to spy on you. They're not here for good. And so he humiliated them. And so David didn't take very kindly to that. And there was a uh, turmoil between the two two nations then. In Second Kings 24 and 2, And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabs, Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent against Judah to destroy it according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by the, his servants, the prophets. So here again, they were being used by God as a, a, a discipline, so to speak, or judgment against the people of Israel. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 3, this is back when they were rebuilding the wall, Tobiah, he was an Ammonite, and he ridiculed the the people of Israel for rebuilding the wall. And so there always seems to be this animosity between the Ammonites, and of course some of these verses of Scripture also include the Moabites in that. This first part of the prophecy is just for the nation of Ammon. Now he lists their, their crimes here. The first crime that is listed is because you said, aha, against the temple's destruction. They were glad when they saw the temple was being destroyed. They had a malicious delight over the, over its destruction. They were glad at Judah's captivity, that they were taken into captivity. They were even glad about Israel and the things that had happened with them. Now, as we uh, had already seen, they've, they've had some hostility with Israel. There's a couple of places I... I uh, put in your... Well, we'll get into them here in a, in a little bit. This uh, first one, yeah, that's, that's right. Judges chapter 10 and verse 11. We're not going to turn there. Just uh, wrote it down for you. This is where they harassed the eastern tribes. The people of Ammon came and they harassed the eastern tribes until they were finally crushed by Jephthah. You remember the story of Jephthah and uh, his daughter who came greet him at the door and so forth. That was all over the people of Ammon who came and harassed those tribes that were to the east. First Samuel chapter 11, Nahash comes against Jabesh Gilead with a ridiculous peace tree. Then King Saul came to defeat them in the first battle. 
That was his very first battle. He came to help these people out because of this ridiculous uh, peace treaty that had come up. So they came into a battle and Saul won, and this helped solidify the kingdom of God into his hand. Now that's just what we have on record. There probably were other things that were on record for, or that could have been recorded, and they could have been um, talked about with that they had done. But not everything is recorded, just like all the works of Jesus are not recorded. Probably not all the works of the nations that are against Israel are recorded for what they did. Just the ones that uh, God wanted us to know about or that God uh, was dealing with. Now verse 4, Indeed, therefore, I will deliver you as a possession to the men of the east, and they shall set their encampments against you or among you and make their dwellings among you. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk. And I will make Rabbah a stable for camels and Ammon a resting place for flocks. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, because you clapped your hands, stomped your feet and rejoice in heart with all your disdain for the land of Israel. Indeed, therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and give you as plunder to the nations. I will cut you off from the peoples and I will cause you to perish from the countries. I will destroy you and you shall know that I am the Lord. So four coming judgments are prophesied here. Uh, first off, they would be conquered too. So they were rejoicing in the fact that Israel was conquered, rejoicing in the fact that Judah was left, led away captive. And he says, men of the east are going to come. Now the men of the east here, I think are probably primarily the Babylonians because that's where they came from. It may also be the Arabs who lived east of the land because once they were vacated from their, their property, it was the Arabs from, that lived east of them that came and settled in their land. So either one could be in mind there. These Those who settled or those who conquered. Babylon conquered. So the first coming judgment was they would be conquered too. The second one, their capital, Rabbah, Rabbah would be destroyed. Now they were rejoicing over the fact that Jerusalem was restored, uh, re- destroyed and that the temple was destroyed. And so God brings that down upon them as well. So just as Jerusalem was destroyed, so too is, there gonna, is, is their capital city. It would become a habitation, a pasture for camels. Verse 5, and it would be desolate and overgrown. The reason for the coming judgment is stated again here in verse 6. So God really wants you to get this this down. First off, he said it's because you said, Aha, and then in verse 6, For thus says the Lord God, because you clapped your hands, stomped your feet, and rejoiced in heart with all your disdain for the land of Israel. So not only did they go around saying aha or hooray or or whatever uh, word you want to put in there, they also were clapping their hands and stomping their feet and their heart was glad because of what was going on. And this is why the punishment is coming down upon them. This is the reason that it is being given. So they they would be plundered by the surrounding nations. So the nations that were on their borders would come and they would plunder them. And then finally they would perish and cease to exist as a nation. Then Ammon would no longer, once they were conquered, they would no longer be a nation. That would be, of course, also for, for Moab coming up. And they do not come back. Once Ammon is destroyed as a nation by Babylon, they don't come back. There are still some Ammonites that are around, but they don't come back and become a nation. Now in Jeremiah 49 and verse 6, I'm going to read this for you. 
but afterward I will bring back the captives of the people of Ammon, says the Lord. Now it's interesting that they're not going to be a nation anymore, but God is going to bring back the people of Ammon. So how does, uh, how does that happen? That they get be, that they get to be brought back? So not all the people of Ammon would be destroyed. There will be a remnant that will remain. There will be some of the people that are there. And of course we know that because in the uh, book of Nehemiah when they're rebuilding the wall, we have an Ammonite who is ridiculing them. Jeremiah 48 and verse 47 tells us the same thing about the Moabites. And they're, uh, they're going to be discussed here in just a little bit. But that they would also come back. They will be re- now. When is it that God is going to restore Ammon as a nation and Moab as a nation? If He had said that they would be no more a nation, they would be restored at the end when all the nations of the world are, re- are restored. Because apparently, in the end times, uh, after Christ comes and sets up His kingdom, that all the nations of the world will be restored, and they will be among those. So all the people. All the nations of the Old Testament and those of the New Testament can look forward to that. It will be interesting to see how uh, the people of Ammon could survive all that time without a nation. Israel, we know, uh, was able to do so. And they came again and were brought to be a nation. So it will be interesting to see how that all comes about. But God said it will be. So we know that it will. God doesn't write them off completely because he has a plan to someday bless the entire world through the very Hebrews that the Ammonites and the Moabites are mocking. Isn't that interesting? All the mocking that Moab does and God is going to use those people that Moab mocks, that the Ammonites mocks, and he's going to bless them and he's going to bring them back into a place of being a nation simply because of the fact that out of Israel comes a ruler a ruler who will set up a kingdom and they will be under that kingdom. Verse uh, 8, let's go on there. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir say, look, the house of Judah is like all the, the nations. Therefore, behold, I will clear the territory of Moab of cities, of cities on its frontier, the glory of the, co- the country, Beth Jeshimoth, Baal Maon, and Kerd... Um, Kerjotham. To the men of the east, I will give it as a possession, together with the Ammonites. And the Ammonites may not be remembered among the nations. And I will execute judgments upon Moab, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So a similar end for Moab, they're going to be given to the men of the east. Again, it's probably, in my opinion, is probably Babylon. It may also be the people that settled in there. But they will not come back to this place. They will not become a nation. They will be uh, somewhat lost. I don't think we have... I can't remember another reference to Moab after this like we have for the people of uh, Ammon. Now the Moabites descended from the older daughter of Lot in the same um, story that we had uh, with the people of Ammon. Now, according to the book of Jasher, and this is, uh, I believe it's chapter 24, verse 24. They just put 24, comma 24. I'm not sure how they break that particular book up. But I thought this was just something of interesting to note. Moab had four sons. The first one is a very interesting name. Are you ready for this Old Testament biblical name? 
Ed. <laughs> Does that strike you as funny? For me, it sure did. I mean, so many of them are these long, elaborate names, and we have Ed as his first son. Uh, Mayon, Tarsus, and Canville. His wife, whose name was not given in the in the book, is apparently from Canaan. So they married uh, Moab, uh, had four sons by a woman who was born of Canaan. So you can see why they went off in the direction that they did. Their chief god here for the Moabites is Kamosh. And the Bible refers to them as the people of Kamosh in Numbers 21-29. Woe to you, Moab, you have perished, O people of Kamosh. Does the same thing in Jeremiah 48 and 46. Calls them the people of Kamosh. So that is apparently their primary God, at least as, as God looked at them. Some notable times with the people of Moab. Ruth was the great-grandmother grand, uh, of King David and is mentioned by Matthew in the genealogy of Christ. And Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, King David sent his parents. Well, there's a Moabite right there that you have. Um, and that would be... Uh, that would be loudly before they were they were judged. That wouldn't have any bearing on their longevity. King David sent his parents to safety. Remember when he was fleeing from Saul and he felt like Saul would pick it, take it out on his family? So he took his parents and he put them in safety with King Mitzpah, who was of Moab. That was in 1 Samuel 22, verse 3 and 4. They came to settle in the land directly east of the Dead Sea. Moab first introduced Israel to Baal worship. They had not known Baal or worshipped Baal until Moab introduced them to it. And this came about because of the council of Balaam in Numbers 25, uh, particularly 1 through 3. I'll read it to you. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal, Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Now if their primary god was Kamosh, you wonder why it was that they introduced them to Baal worship. That's a question I would ask anyway. I don't know if anybody else is going to be asking that one, but that's Kamosh is their primary god. Why introduce them to Baal? So Baal must have had practices and, and religious uh, uh, worship that was more appealing than that of Kamosh. And so that's probably why they did that. There seemed to be a lot of uh, uh, sexual things that were involved with Baal. And so they lured them in this way. They oppressed Israel in Judges 6 through 8 and Gideon was called upon them, called upon to deliver them. And in verse 8, they're also condemned for mocking Judah, but their mocking is a little bit different than we have from Ammon. Now, they may have engaged in the same type of mocking that Ammon did, but what they're talked about is, um, uh, let me just pull that up back up here. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir say, look, the house of Judah is like all the nations. Now, that may not sound too much, you know, what's, what's that mean? They look, they're, they're like all the nations. They are, Mocking him for being like all the nations, the, the purpose of this taunt was to contradict Judah's claim that they were God's chosen people. Because that's the thing they would say, we're, we're the chosen people of God, and they were supposed to set themselves apart from all of the nations because they were of God. And so they're mocking him and saying, you guys are no different than anybody else. 
you got the same problems everybody else does, you got the same idolatry that everybody else does, then look at this, you're going down like all these other nations have gone down before. Don't tell me that you're anybody special. And so they taunted them with that. And God was not too pleased. He singles that out. And he says, you guys taunted my people. Then Jeremiah 48, verse 26. Let me read that for you. Make him drunk because he exalted himself against the Lord. Moab shall wallow in his vomit and he shall also be in derision. For he was not, for was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves? For whenever you speak of him, you shake your head in scorn. That's more of the, the mocking, the condemnation that they had. Now there was a, something called the Misha stone. It was discovered in 1868 and it recounts the king of Moab's boast that his god Kamosh had vanquished Israel. That stone refers to an earlier event, but that the attitude is expressed was no doubt re-expressed when Jerusalem fell. That they felt that their god was more powerful than the god of Israel. And so they boasted of their god over the god of uh, God, the God Jehovah. Now, Seir is the is referenced here is Edom, and Edom is in the next prophecy. But Seir had also involved themselves in this mocking, and that's why they're brought in in this previous one. But their prophecy is coming later. But just so you know, this one of calling Israel, ah, you're just like all the other nations. Nations, <clears throat> the nation of Seir or Edom had done the same thing. In Genesis 32, verse 3, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So the two were the same. Now in uh, Jeremiah 48, 46, Woe to you, O Moab! The people of Kamosh perish, for your sons have been taken captive and your daughters captive. Yet I will bring back the captives of Moab in the latter days, says the Lord. Thus far is the judgment of Moab. So here we have the prophecy, yet I will bring back the captives of Moab in the latter days. So when we have the latter days, when we have the last kingdom of God set up, apparently the descendants of Moab are going to be gathered, the descendants of Ammon will be gathered, and the descendants of other nations will be gathered. But up until then they are judged and they are not allowed to be uh, be a nation again. So Ammon is still not a nation. Moab is not a nation. In fact, no nation on the face of the earth that has gone through being conquered and taken into captivity is in existence anymore. Every single one of them uh, went away, except for Israel. And Israel has recovered from it twice. The only one that has done so. They have only done so because of the help of God. But after Babylon conquered them, they, of course, came back in under the... Um, uh, the Persians, and they were rebuilt the wall and rebuilt the temple. And then after Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem, they were once again brought back into a nation after World War II. And so we see that it has happened two times for them. Now we just took on these two prophecies here because they're so similar and we wanted to see what we, we would get from from those before we move on into the other ones. But the first thing that we can take a look at from this with Moab and Ammon is that bad choices can accumulate. When we make bad choices, one bad choice can lead to another bad choice, and that can lead uh, on to another bad choice, 
And that can lead on to another bad choice. With the direction of Ammon and Moab, their direction began with Lot. They began with his decision. Remember Lot going along with with, uh, Abraham. And Lot didn't know much of anything about doing business, getting rich. So Abraham probably helped him out. He uh, took him under his wing. He showed him how to do things. He showed him how to buy. He showed him how to sell. He showed him how to get his herds to grow. And he listened and he learned because we see that eventually Lot got to be so prosperous. Abraham was so prosperous that their flocks couldn't coexist together. And so Abraham said, look, there's strife between your shepherds and my shepherds, your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Let's not have this. So you pick what direction you want to go and you go that way and I'll pick the other direction and I'll go the other way. And so, of course, he went into the lush valley of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and he pitched his tent, the Word of God tells us, as far as the city of Sodom. And the next we come upon him, he's in the city of Sodom. And he no longer has herds and flocks, at least not that we can see. All he's got is a house in the city. Don't know what he does. Don't know if he just sold all his stuff or if he, uh, if he farmed it out. We're not told any of those things, but all he's got, is, as far as we can see, is the city. He's got his daughters, his wife, and then they're, they're both engaged. And so they're, of course, engaged to men of Sodom. So you can imagine what kind of uh, things to expect from there. Now, it, Lot is probably thinking, I can resist the corruption of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll just enjoy the good parts of this thing out here and I'll resist it. And I can't tell you that he didn't resist it. Because the, the uh, angels, they come uh, for Lot because he's a righteous man. And we see that he didn't, he stood up to the men who wanted to do evil things and they jumped right on him. So it seemed like he stood his ground for things of righteousness because he was already not liked a whole lot. And they called him, you know, you come in here and you basically uh, telling us how good you are and how bad we are. And so they didn't have a great attitude towards the guy. So it seems like he maintained his righteousness like he thought he could. And even when his daughters wanted to pull him into this ancestral relationship in order to to keep the name going, they had to get him drunk because he knew he wouldn't do it if he was sober. So it seems to be a lot of indication that Lot did not let the corruption that was around him get in him. But what he didn't take into consideration was the fact that he couldn't protect his whole family. And he lost his wife because of it. She looked back. She That, that place had gotten hold of her. And when it was being destroyed, she looked back. God said, don't look back. She didn't obey the voice of God. She obeyed the voice inside of her and she said, look back. That's what she did. And the daughters, they were, they were corrupt. And that corruption had gotten inside of them. And so when they raised their kids up, they didn't raise them up into the, the pure way that Abraham would have done. They had the corruption that got in. And that corruption eventually caused Moab to, to have less than good decisions. And so he married someone from the land of Canaan, which was a cursed people. And they knew at this time that this was a cursed people. Abraham knew it was a cursed people. God even said, I'm going to judge these people because they're cursed people. But they went ahead and they took, took, took a wife from there. Raised the family. So these family, remember they, they apparently were worshiping idols. And this idolatrous worship got in there. 
whether they came up with uh, Baal worship on their own, adopted it from someplace else, whatever it might be, they just kept getting more and more corrupt so that when they saw the things of God, they ridiculed them. They oppressed them. Whenever they saw an opportunity to be stronger than them and the, the Moabites would come down upon the land with Gideon and destroy all the, all the food so that the people of Israel didn't have the food to eat. And there's just, uh, uh, just the traits that were there. They're very cruel people. They were, they were mocking. They were prideful. They were idolatrous worshipers. Lots of bad things. But it all came out of one bad choice that led to another bad choice. Uh, There's a bad choice to go over there and live in the area of Sodom. It would have been a better choice to get rid of some livestock and say, Abraham, what do I have to do to stay here with you? That would have been a better choice, but he didn't choose that. And he went off in another direction. And that choice caused uh, other things to, to happen. Eventually they came in and moved in the city. That was a bad choice. And that corruption got into the daughters. And it never got out of them. And that corruption was passed on to the descendants. So much so that Lot, who was taken under the, the wing of Abraham and helped to grow into a prosperous person, that his descendants would murder and kill the people of Israel. Oppress them. Take things from them. All because of some bad choices that he made. So we can make some bad choices. What's hard to do is to stop those bad choices once we make them. It seems like once we make a bad choice, well, now it seems like I got no choice but to, to do this and to go in this direction because I've made that choice. And so we go that way. And then after we do that, then it seems like, well, I got no choice but to, to, to do this. And I don't want to do this, but I don't seem like I have any choice. And, and this is the direction that we go. has to come a point where we repent of our bad choices and we just say, God, I made a bad choice. I'm just going to own up to it. I'm going to take on whatever it is that has gone on because of my bad choices so far and let's just make a change of direction. The second thing that we see is don't rejoice in misfortune. Don't rejoice in misfortune. Don't rejoice in anyone's misfortune. Romans 12, 15 it tells us that we should weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But sometimes we turn that around. We rejoice with those who weep and we weep with those who rejoice. But that's not what the Word of God tells us. In Proverbs 17.5, He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Now think of those who respond with, with joy to the 9-11 terrorist acts. I heard in some of the other countries they were dancing in the street because of the death toll that had gone on because of that. Well, just know that God takes a look at these things. And though we haven't seen all the judgment that we might want to see happen, God doesn't forget it. God has remembered the mockery these nations had done to Israel way back when they came out of Egypt. He goes all the way back to that. And he says, I remember when they came out, you guys didn't uh, treat them well. And, and you guys spoke to them this way. And when opportunity came, you oppressed them and you took from them. And God goes all the way back to that. And he says, I remember that you did these things and the judgment will come upon them. And Ezekiel is now prophesying that that judgment is going to come, that there are going to be judges in the nation and they will cease being a nation anymore. But these are still things that we need to make sure that we learn ourselves. Don't rejoice in misfortune. Now there is a difference between misfortune and judgment because of the calamity that has come on. 
if uh, you look at it this way, if a, if a murderer has been going around and they're just killing people and that um, murdering toll has gotten up there, you know, we can think of some mass murderers that have been in this, just in our, our country. Of course, in other nations, there, there are there are some famous ones. Uh, Jack the Ripper was one and just terrorized the streets of London. I think it was London that he was, that he was on. And when you see judgment come down and the people bring that to, to um, justice, there's a gladness that's there because we're glad that no one else is being killed by this person. We're glad that no one else is, is, this evil is being stopped. So don't feel that that's the same thing. But when you see someone, uh, maybe they haven't been the nicest of per- persons, uh, maybe there's somebody at your job and they have been unpleasant at times. And when they get to a place and they, uh, they get fired, well, sometimes we can rejoice. Oh, good, I'm glad they finally got rid of that person. But you see, we're not supposed to rejoice in calamity. I can rejoice that evil has been stopped when evil has, has stopped. I've told you some of the things that I get, I get glad about, especially when you look at some of these people and the evil that they're spreading, the lies that they're spreading, the, the darkness and things like that that they're spreading. I, get, I can rejoice when that darkness is put a stop to and when the, the people are not brought into that anymore. But if you have a neighbor, they're just not very nice to you. And then bad things happen. Say that they're, they're, they're not nice to you. Every time you go out there, they're just evil things to say. And then maybe they have a fire and their house burns down. And if I get rejoice, rejoicing about that, I get glad, that's not something I'm supposed to do. I can rejoice when evil has been stopped from perpetuating the evil because the people that are affected by that are no longer affected. I can rejoice in that. But be careful. Don't rejoice because somebody else, because of somebody else's calamity. That's not something we're supposed to do. And in this particular prophecy of Ezekiel, we are told that these two nations are brought into judgment because of how they looked at calamity. Because of how they looked at this bad stuff that happened to Israel. Their temple being destroyed. Their city being destroyed. Their walls torn down. Taken into captivity. Taken away from their land. And they're glad. They're rejoicing. We are not to have that. So the two things we need to learn from this. First off, bad choices can accumulate. Once we realize we have made a bad choice, do everything you can to reverse it and go back to what it was before. Lot should have realized I made a bad choice. <laughs> Let me go back over where Abraham is and uh, get connected with him. What would have happened if he came out of Sodom and he went up to Abraham and said, Abraham, I've messed up. Can I come back with you? Just be uh, be one of the ones that helps out with your with your sheep and so forth just to get around that atmosphere again. Just to get around the things of God again. What would that have done for his daughters? Would that have gotten the corruption out of them? Would they have gone into a, a better direction than the direction that they did? Would Moab and, and Ammon have ever been a nation that would have oppressed Israel and done the things that they had done? Don't know, because he didn't make that, that choice. He kept going down the wrong direction. So as we look at this, this uh, section of Ezekiel, understand, there may be some bad choices that I've made. Pride will keep me from going back against them and reversing those things. Well, I can't say that I was wrong. Well, I can't say that uh, uh, so-and-so was right and I should have done it this way. Don't let pride do that. Stand up and say, I need to make a change. I need to turn myself around here. 
And when I see misfortune going on, like Romans tells us, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. In Proverbs 17.5, he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. That verse in Proverbs is very much realized with the nations of Moab and Ammon. They rejoice in a number of different times at the calamity of their rival, Israel. They could have gotten in and done things and and been on their side. How much better was it for Moab when they were friends with David? When they were friends with the nation of Israel? Then they could come into a place of prosperity and Israel would come into a place of prosperity even more so. But when they decided to rise up against David and Israel, it did not go well for Moab. And it won't go well for us if we decide to not follow these things. Don't rejoice in misfortune. And if I've made some bad choices, we can correct it. We can go in a different direction. Well, Father, I thank you for the lessons we can learn from Moab and Ammon. They were wiped out as nations. They no longer exist today. In the end times, you say in your prophecies that you will be bringing them back. And we know that your prophecies are true. But we can learn the lessons from, from them that bad choices need to be stopped. That we may have made some bad choices, but we've got to learn from Lot. Don't keep making them. Don't keep following in the direction of that bad choice. Alter it. Once we realize that we've done a wrong thing, gone in the wrong direction, had a wrong attitude, we need to change it. And we can do so with your help. And I thank you for that. I thank you that our bad choices can be changed. And we will not rejoice when those who are having some misfortune go on, losing their job, losing their money, losing different things that they they had, death coming into their family. We won't rejoice with that. We won't be allowing the devil to whisper those words, ah, they got theirs, and to repeat them inside of ourselves. But Father, when we see those even though they are enemies of us that are weeping, we can weep with them. And they're rejoicing. And we can rejoice with them. And I thank you that we can go and combat these things your way and not the world's way. For you tell us in the Word, when Jesus was down here ministering, that if we repay evil with evil, how much different are we from the world? But if we repay evil with good, how much more of a positive effect can we have on our enemies? And I thank you we can do that in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.